Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, choir. That was fun. I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but our town is haunted. Now, some basic research will tell you that most towns of a certain size, to which Carrollton fits perfectly into, are haunted. So if you are driving around on a certain time of night, and you want to go see some interesting things, go to the Purple Mansion, go to the upper floor, and you will see sights, you will see sounds, and you may be a little scared. I now know why all those restaurants keep failing. The ghosts don't like barbecue, they don't like the coffee shop, I'm, I'm worried about everything going on there. Carrollton, of course, is not the only town that is haunted. All across America, we're full of haunted towns. Even if you go to Savannah, that whole city has based their entire industry on being haunted. It's incredible. There was another town that was also haunted, and the kids would tell a story. Um, it was kind of their version of a coming-of-age thing. Obviously, you would go through school, you'd graduate, you'd get a job. But for the kids of this town, their coming-of-age was to see the village monster, to see the town legend. And it was known, if you went at a certain time in the night, and you went to the cemetery, and you sat amongst the tombstones, and you waited... If you were at the right time and in the right place, you would hear it faintly first, a clink, clink, clinking sound. And by then, if you were smart, and most of the kids were smart, you would leave. You would go home, and you would talk to your mom, and she would make you some milk, and you would just go to sleep. But a few kids would stay longer, and rumors have come in from that story that if you were sticking through it and you were brave enough, maybe you were a group and you could wait and see, you would see the monster chains dangling behind it, completely covered in mud and blood, long, long, dark hair. And if it saw you, it would screech. And then the race was on. And you could run away, and who knows how many kids were lost to this village. But you would run, and you would run, and you would hear the screeching echoing in the trees around you as you went through the tombstones, just praying you got to see your family again. You survived. And kids would grow up in this town, and they would know this place is haunted. And you would go to the cemetery, obviously in the daytime, for funerals and stuff. But in the nighttime, it belonged to the village monster. And I think it's interesting. These people grow up. They know the story. They know the legends. And one day, someone says, hey, you have to come to the cemetery. Something has happened. The obvious thing is that the monster has finally taken someone we found them. Let's go check it out. And so the people rush over. They rush to see. And they see a monster sitting there talking to some Jewish guy. And they are terrified. And verse 14 says they, they come up. They come from the country and from the city. And they come to see what happened. And they see Jesus and the demon-possessed man. And he is clothed, sitting there in his right mind. And they are afraid. And what always gets me with this story is that, I mean, it's cool having a village monster. It's fun to tell the scary stories. But the scariest thing for them was Jesus. They were terrified of him. So scared that in the next few verses, they actually beg him to leave, to get out of here. We don't want to see you ever again. This is the guy who beat the local legend, who beat the big bad monster and 
flipped his whole life around. And it turns out this demon that afflicted them was just a guy. Jesus was powerful and he brought change. Big, big change. And the people of this town didn't want anything to do with that. They were afraid. You know, I kind of get it. Change is scary. We don't like it. We don't want it. And yet it happens all around us all of the time. We live in a sea of change. As individuals and as a church, how do we deal with change? How do we survive the changes that are constantly hitting us on either side? In our scriptures today, I believe that Jesus has three things to teach us about navigating change well. And the first one, which to me is the most difficult, is that Jesus asks us to trust him. Verse 13 says that Jesus gave them permission. These 6,000 demons, these massive horde, this legion of otherworldly beings, asked Jesus for permission to go into the pigs. In the middle of all of this, Jesus is in control. He never breaks a sweat. He never looks worried. He's never saying, oh gosh, golly gosh, what do I do next? He is cool, calm, and collected. The demonic spirits, if you read it carefully, they are in a panic the whole time. The village people are obviously out of their minds. The disciples are silent, and Jesus is just there changing things. Everyone is upset because they they don't have control. They have no semblance of order of what they can do in this situation. There's this possessed guy, and they don't know what to do, and they thought they had him in a cage, and Jesus has destroyed all of that. And so their reaction is fear. They beg Jesus, please, 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 leave our town. Leave us alone. You've already killed a bunch of pigs. Please, please go. And I say, instead of fear, when Jesus enters into a situation, enters into our lives, our reaction should be peace and gratitude that no matter what, Jesus is in control and he is not scared of the big changes. He is not flustered. He is not worried. He's not wringing his hands. He's got this. When I was in seminary, as most seminarians do, I picked up a hobby to let stress off and just survive. Um, Unlike most seminarians, I decided to do martial arts. Uh, A friend of mine and I did it. We did Brazilian jiu-jitsu, if you know what it is. Um, It's a form of grappling, kind of like wrestling. Very tough, very on the ground. Um, Great stress reliever if you're just really sick of being dressed up. Um, and studying theology all day. And what would happen is that the black belts would fight the white belts, um, and we would just lose constantly. It was very embarrassing um, to just get beaten up every day. Um, But the reason was that you would learn faster, and it was safer for the black belts to fight white belts um, because they could handle whatever weird stuff we did trying to win. And I remember two guys um, who were in the black belt class, and they enjoyed it. Most of the black belts, they did it as a training thing, but these two guys enjoyed beating up on white belts. That was just, that's how they did it. They just loved it. Um, I have a whole story about getting my neck cracked both ways by one guy. Um, It was very painful. But our sensei, who was in his late 20s at the most, um, would always challenge them before and after they fought with us. He was a mid-late 20s guy, um, blonde, curly hair, and this really big smile. He also happened to be like a seventh-degree black belt 
in jiu-jitsu, judo, karate, you know, one of those people. And they would spar, and he would fight these two guys who were, of course, also black belts, excellent fighters, big, big guys. And they'd do everything they could. They'd be sweating, they'd be cursing, lots of cursing. Um, occasionally there'd be blood, they'd just be fighting it out. And he would always have this little smile on his face. And he'd flip them and pin them and just get them just in an arm bar and all this stuff. And it didn't even bother him. He barely ever broke a sweat. Because to them, to him, they were practice. They were his warm-up before he started working out. And when I think of Jesus, and when I think of how confident and in control Jesus is of our situations, I think of that smile. Not a boastful smile, not a proud, haughty, oh, I'm better than you, look what I can do smile, but just this confident, I've got this smile. And I think of Jesus asking us to trust him, and to be honest, I struggle with this point the most. There's a whole three-point sermon to go, but you're doing great. Um, but I struggle with this one because that means I have to let go of control and let Jesus take control. Let him be the one in charge. Let him be the one calling the shots. Change does that. It usually reveals how, how we're trusting, how we're feeling, our confidence and where that lies. Change, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, shows us how little in control we actually are. And this verse today says, flip that attitude. Don't, don't be resentful. Be grateful that you can see where, where Jesus is Lord and where you are not. Second thing, Jesus asks us to be uncomfortable. As we said before, the people just beg on hands and knees for him to leave. Um, the monster's gone. A bunch of pigs are dead. Who knows what else Jesus might do in the next few days if he stays around, if he opens up shop. God help us if he starts a church and starts healing people on all sorts of weird stuff. Um, it's interesting. They're more worried about the potential loss of all, these, uh, all the money lost from these pigs than they are about the healed man. Because he's not a monster. He's, he's just a man suffering from some severe problems. Jesus removed the familiar in order for them to grow, in order for this man to, to grow and be healthy and whole again. And normality, unfortunately, whether it is good or bad, is comfortable. And we like being comfortable. I mean, that's just a basic thing. Unfortunately or fortunately, to change, to grow in the direction Jesus has designed for us, will make us uncomfortable. We feel off balance almost. It is honestly no wonder that these people asked him to leave. Jesus had ruined their life. They could no longer brag about their town being the haunted town. They could no longer go out on dares. They could no longer say, ah, oh, well, at least life is not as bad as that guy. He had changed things, and he had upset the status quo. And even though that change was great, it made them deeply uncomfortable and so I ask us today to learn from these people that we must be willing, in order to grow, in order to move beyond where we are, we must be willing to be uncomfortable, to not always be at rest, at peace, but to step out into the unknown, to stretch a little bit. Charles Darwin, of all people, had this to say about change. It is not the strongest of the species that survives, and it is not the most intelligent it is the one who is the most adaptable to change. Jesus asks us to be uncomfortable. That is how good change happens, and we must be willing and open for that to be the case.
So we've been asked to trust. We've been asked to be uncomfortable. The third thing, and honestly a very difficult thing for us to do, is Jesus asks us to hear his messenger. If you read with me in verse 18, as Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. I think it's important to note in this story that Jesus doesn't reject the demon-possessed man. We can read it that way. He says, oh, get away from me. You still kind of smell. Um, He doesn't say that. He still lets him be a disciple. He just sends him on his own mission. Um, He's not going to be one of the 12. He's not going to go with him to Jerusalem. Um, This man has been sent to the Decapolis. Um, If you don't know what that is, that simply means the 10 cities. So in this area, there were 10 large Roman cities. So if they're in a village, think bigger, think cities, um, think Atlanta, maybe not quite Atlanta size, but there's 10 of them, and he sends them off to preach, to preach what God has done for him. And it says that he did, that he went away and he told everyone, and I love the last verse, and everyone marveled. And I think about those townspeople again. I'm stuck on the townspeople. Did they shun him? Did they just not let him into the village and say, we know who you are, we know where you came from, please stay out. And he was forced to go to the ten cities. As this man's story grew in fame and it became known a I don't know, we'll just call him John. John is a great preacher, and man, he used to be demon-possessed, but he really turned his life around with Jesus. You should go hear him. Did the townspeople scoff and say, well, let me tell you about all the pigs we lost. How dare he? And they miss, they miss Jesus himself and his action in the world. They miss salvation coming to this man. Um, It never says that they thank God or glorify God for anything that he has done, just because they're just sad about the pigs, and they don't like where the messenger is coming from. Crazy, but it it does happen. It happens all the time. And yet Jesus asks us to hear, to hear who he has sent as his messenger, especially if we don't consider them worthy of giving that message. Jesus has this interesting habit, I'll say interesting, interesting habit, of picking people that don't fit our molds, that don't make us feel comfortable, and inserting them into our lives and saying, this is the word of the Lord. This is what I see. These messengers that come at angles from us, almost seeing things sideways as we do, and say, oh, I see your weak points. I see some things that you could do better. And typically, we we don't enjoy that. No one likes being picked at or overviewed or surveyed. Um, I remember uh, the church before here, um, I would preach to the youth two or four times a week, And then every once in a while, I would preach to one of the adult services, and I would be given an outline, and I could fill out my illustrations, but the rest of the sermon was already presented. And our associate pastor was in his early 30s, so kind of my age, but just a little bit older, Um, and he was a motivational speaker and a strong man. He just did the church work for fun, um, but his main job was to be a motivational speaker. And I have to tell you, he was excellent at it. when I met him, he weighed 350 pounds. So keep in mind, strong man. This was not just, this was a strong man. Um, he had apparently weighed 450 pounds when he was serious about it, but he had slimmed down. Um, and he would call me the week after I would preach, and he'd say, oh, let's meet in the sanctuary. And I'd just skip on down, just full of life and joy, and 
typical youth pastor just out of seminary stuff. And he would critique. He would say, oh, good, I pulled up the recording of the sermon. Let us go step by step and look at everything you did wrong. (sighs) And see, all of y'all have had jobs and you've been in this situation. Um, I was fresh out of seminary. I had a master's degree. I had spoken before. And I thought, who is this guy? What is going, this isn't even your job, man. Like, what is, what's the deal? And he would say, oh, you needed to make eye contact better when you made that point. Or you need to cast your voice so in case the mic dies, the person in the back can still hear you. Um, why did you move your hands like this? And I'll say, oh, like this? And he'd say, yes. <laughs> Never do that again. And there it is. I already broke his training. He was not gentle. He was not overly kind about it. He just wanted me to not be as bad as I was. And at the end of it, he would smile and say, all right, let's see next time. And then he would walk out, and we wouldn't talk the rest of the week. It was very strange. (laughs) And my point is, we've all started our professions. We've all been in school. We've all been in that situation where we think we've got it. You know, you think, I'm pretty good at this. I have a handle on what is about to happen. Let's go. Everyone seems pretty nice about it. And then someone just comes in, and they say, ooh, Let's, let's pick that up a little bit. Let's cut the little corners here and just tighten everything up. And you're okay. And they'll tell you, you're okay. You've got potential. But let's, let's push that up a little bit. And even though I didn't enjoy it, we've all had that feeling of, ooh, really? His words were a, a great service to me. Um, it was a gift that he was giving me of cutting out all these bad habits and pointing out all these things Um, drilling ruthlessly for months, methodically, just drilling down on, did you know that you say um sometimes when you speak? You need to never say um again. I say, oh, okay. And then three weeks later, you know you've inserted like instead of um? Let's cut that out. (laughs) Ruthless, just over and over and over again until I could step into it and I could do a good job until I could get a three out of four stars instead of two stars until... The word of the Lord could be heard and you weren't distracted by my arms waving about. You see, God works changes in our lives for our growth and for our good. He has a plan and we all have a place and we have a purpose in it. And he asks us to trust him. He asks us to be willing to be uncomfortable. And he will send us messengers to teach us, to grow us, to push us to honestly make us hurt a little bit sometimes, and we don't like that. We push back, and yet Jesus invites us. This is true in our lives, in our personal individual lives, and it is true in the life of our church. Change is coming, and it is coming soon. A new senior pastor brings in lots of changes. Some of them we will love, and some of them will say, ooh, can he really? Mm." I don't, I don't like this too much. And God willing, we will be uncomfortable enough and willing to hear enough to have growth and to grow with the senior pastor and to grow where God is guiding us in this grand plan. If you hear only one thing today, and you've snoozed this whole time, that's totally fine, I understand. It happens. Braves played long. What are you going to do? Um, hear this. Jesus Christ is in charge of change. And that is a hopeful word. It is Jesus who chooses to change things in our lives. 
And it is he who is running the boat, as we would say. It is he who chooses to love us. And it is he who ultimately made the biggest change in our lives. He decided to go to the cross and change our relationship with God to open the way for him to come and have relationship with him. He is the Lord, and he is the Lord of change. He invites each of us into relationship with him, into fellowship with him, and he blesses us as we live through this sometimes strange, sometimes chaotic world. I will ask you today, will you put your trust in him? Amen.